In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, it was a Saturday, and like a lot of people on a Saturday, I had a long list of things I wanted to do and things I wanted to accomplish, some of them more important than others, but all of them on that list, and I wanted to get them done. The top of the list was checking on a parishioner who was in the hospital. And so I made it to the hospital in record time, um, figured out that the room was on the sixth floor, went to the bank of elevators, and there was one open just for me. So I jumped on, pressed six, and off we went. It stopped on two, and the doors opened, and no one got on. The doors closed. It stopped on three, and the doors opened. No one got on, the doors closed. And then I smiled, the front row is sharp, they know what it, what it was. It was the Sabbath elevator. Uh, those who may not know such things or don't come to New York that often may not know of Sabbath elevators. Um, so as to help Orthodox Jews who are observant um, not violate the commandment around operating switches for mechanical devices, then elevators are set on automatic pilot for the Sabbath from, I guess, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And so particularly in hospitals, but other, other buildings from time to time, um, one will see them. The elevator will be on automatic pilot, and so the observant Orthodox Jew can simply come and go. Um, I smiled the other day and, and appreciated that Sabbath time, interrupting my schedule. It, it made me pause, and it made me think about pausing. Um, it made me gather my wits. It, it made me offer a prayer for the person I was about to see. It, it helped me unwind so that I wasn't carrying all of this energy and, and chaos into the hospital room of someone who didn't need more energy and chaos in their life. And so I was grateful a very different response than the first Sabbath elevator I encountered some years ago. I remember finding that one and being appalled. I thought, what a ridiculous thing. This is exactly the sort of thing Jesus preaches against. You know, finding some detail of the law and elevating it to be more important than anything else. Um, I was missing the point. I think as I've aged, I'm grateful for any reminder of God's intention for our lives, whether that's an elevator that stops before I'm ready for it or some sign inviting me to accept Jesus. I take them less as threats these days than more as invitations because wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, I can usually stand to step out of myself for a minute or two and think on God. In today's gospel, we encounter some famous words. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers us rest. Rest for our souls 
But do we want it? Do we receive it? Most of us work hard at whatever we do. We were raised that way, to work hard and harder. Our, our culture enshrines busyness and activity, and multitasking is almost always thought to be a virtue and a good quality. The more one does, the more one is, often. I remember some years ago when I had a lot of different balls in the air. I was a, a part-time pastor for a little tiny church over in New Jersey. I was working on a degree at General Seminary. I was working in the library of the seminary. And I was doing a chaplaincy unit at Beth Israel Hospital. And almost everybody I encountered when they learned that schedule um, just heaped on the praise they would look at me and they'd say, wow, that's fantastic. Don't know how you do it. And I felt really proud of myself that I was doing all of this. And then I remember meeting someone who was steeped in the Christian tradition and other traditions. And she sort of looked right through me and said, is that good for you? And I, I stopped for a minute. And she went further. She said, is that good for your soul? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Are you making and sustaining relationships? Are you keeping Sabbath? Are you praying? Are you resting? Well, the answer to most of those was no. But she reminded me that we're called to another kind of life. Jesus offers rest. I, I don't think he's inviting us simply to, to live a spirituality that is the equivalent, equivalent of our sort of plopping on a sofa and not having um, any ideas or, or any opinion or, or any investment in life. Instead, I think he's talking about the sort of rest that comes sometimes in the midst of and certainly at the end of struggle. It's a kind of rest that happens when we, when we realize, sometimes painfully, that the world really doesn't depend on me after all. It's a sort of rest that comes when we put our trust, our faith, our hope, our decisions, our joys, our pains, our very life into the hands of Jesus. We don't often use the word in the Christian tradition anymore, but we are called to take Sabbath. For us, this word can mean a resting in Christ, Sabbath. Sabbath is time out, time put aside, downtime, quiet time, whatever you might want to call it. Sabbath is hallowed time, time made holy, time redeemed in the presence of God. It doesn't really matter so much what we do or where we do it or how we spend it, as long as there's some little bit of time that we give to God in which we, we stop trying to be perfect, in which we stop editing ourselves, in which we stop trying to pray correctly or even live correctly, but simply let it go and put it to rest. 
Jesus offers us rest. He he offers it in a number of ways. Uh, Clearly, Jesus offers us rest through prayer and meditation. Eastern religious traditions have have often been better at teaching and passing on uh, traditions of meditation and contemplation. But it's in our tradition as well. I was talking with someone the other day who who said that she never knew about meditation. She grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And I, I talked with her. I said, how is that possible? Because there's so many amazing Roman Catholics through history who, who teach and embody meditation and contemplation. And then we sort of mused together that perhaps it became a, a little bit of a split where the professionally religious did these things. But so many of the people coming to church and sitting in the pews maybe didn't hear about them or didn't learn them. From a Protestant perspective, we had a different problem. We, we avoided such things thinking they were overly Catholic and might somehow do our souls harm. And so it's taken us a while, sometimes through Eastern exposure, through yoga or contemplation or meditation or Tai Chi, where it begins to occur to us, oh, this is good for us, not only for our bodies, but also for our souls. And, oh, right, this is what John of the Cross talks about. This is what Teresa of Avila writes about. This is what Evelyn Underhill teaches. On and on and on they go. Sometimes simply sitting, simply being still, simply being quiet, we can meet Christ. So paraphrasing the well-known Buddhist phrase, if we, if we meet the risen Christ coming down the road, receive him, rest in him. Jesus also offers us rest through worship. Think of the number of things right now you are resting from in order to be here. We all have our lists of things that need to be done, but we're putting it aside at least for a little while and stepping into this space or another space like this simply to rest in God. One of the great luxuries and gifts of the Anglican tradition that's steeped in the prayer book and a liturgy that is mostly the same each week is that people long before us have figured out the details and fought over the language. And so we can truly rest in those prayers and let them speak to us. Does every word speak to me every time I read them? No, of course not. And so we let it wash over us and let it speak to us wherever and whenever the Spirit activates that. Some words will offend. Some words will startle. Many words will soothe. But taken together, worship is a time, especially for Anglicans, when we don't have to work so hard. We don't have to invent and create and be original. We can rest with God. Finally, perhaps even more frequently, Jesus offers us rest in one another. This involves allowing others close. It involves allowing others to be a part of our lives. It it might mean asking others to pray for us or asking others to run an errand or, or contacting Patsy Weil or others with Trinity Cares, with allowing people to, to stand by us and show up with us and for us in some way. It, it might mean telling the rector what's going on or calling the parish office. It might mean all sorts of things. 
the rest in Christ sometimes comes to us in the form of resting in the arms and the prayers of others. I mentioned Teresa of Avila earlier. I love much about her story. She was a 16th century saint and monastic. She was a a Carmelite, a real reformer. She was a busy person. What I most love about her is her common sense. She struggled with all kinds of things. She, she struggled with, the own force, with her own force of personality, with her own tendency to charm rather than offer content. Um, she, she struggled with all of her abilities and talents, with the voices of the world that tried to, to put her in particular places. And yet she put absolute faith in Jesus Christ and she followed him. It was this sort of faith, this tenacious faith that empowered her to to found and reform 17 convents all over Spain. She had arthritis and a bad back and a dislocated shoulder and all sorts of physical pains. And yet she continued to ride a donkey all over Spain doing what she perceived to be God's work. At one point, Teresa reflected on the word obedience. Some of you know that that word in English, obedience, comes from the Latin ab audiri. Audiri like to hear, audio. And so obedience doesn't have so much to do with following a law slavishly. Obedience has to do with listening. Listening and following what we hear. She observes that obedience is a little like when there's a difficult matter to be sorted out. The two sides can't agree on a solution. And so they take their problem to a trusted third party to have it resolved. Teresa says that in obedience, we take to God the various things within ourselves that are at war with each other. We lift them up to God as though these things are our sacrifice on the altar. And we trust God to decide for us. This is obedience, but it's also a kind of holy rest, resting in God. It's surrender. Teresa wrote, let nothing therefore trouble you. Let nothing scare you. All is fleeting. God alone is unchanging. Patience, everything obtains. The one who possesses God lacks nothing at all. God alone suffices. Our prayer book captures this idea of resting in the presence and the power of God in a prayer near the back of the prayer book. It's listed as a prayer for quiet confidence. And it leads us to pray, O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be our strength. By the might of your Spirit, lift us, we pray, to your presence, where we may be still and know that you are God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This holiday week is almost gone. But in what remains of this week and what remains of this season, I pray that all of us may come to know the rest that Christ offers us, resting in the one who calls us to put all of our faith and all of our life in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.